Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting next to me, as usual, with a sunny disposition, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there! And today, unfortunately, we have some serious things to talk about. Actually, we have some pretty scary stuff to talk about. This, this I think, is even scarier than our zombie computers and Halloween shows combined. Really? Yeah. I, I I think so. Okay. So we're going to talk today about cyber war. Arg. <laughs> it's not pirate war. Oh. <laughs> cyber war. Well, cyber war. So we're, we all, we're not talking about Tron here. No, no. Um, which, Nor are we talking about war games. No. Both of which are awesome movies. Yes. So put them to the top of your Netflix queue. Um, no, we're talking about Using computers to either spy upon or sabotage or otherwise uh, inflict some sort of harm upon a nation. Um, and this can be done by one of a dozen different entities. That's the, that's one of the scary things about cyber war mm-hmm. is that, all right. So in classic warfare, you know, usually you, you, you would talk about two different nations or perhaps two different factions within a nation mm-hmm. fighting one another. Pretty easy to identify who the the parties involved are, right? Normally, yeah, it's the guys shooting at you, right? And right. normally they have you know uniforms of some kind on. 
so right. you know not to shoot your own guy. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some general little rules that make it easier to know which guys are the ones you're supposed to be shooting. Um, cyber war is not quite that clean cut. Nope. The the problem with cyber war is that the attacks can come from anywhere. They can come from another country. They can come from patriots within another country that are acting on their own. They could come from uh, uh, essentially a mercenary, a hacker that's hired to do this sort of thing. Um, they could come from someone who's just trying to cause mischief and they don't have any other motives. Uh, so th- it's an attack that can come from another country or the, it can come from within the country that is being attacked. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about, uh, sort of a, a cyber terrorism in a way. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, um, it could be somebody sitting in his jammies in his living room. Yep. And the computer, you know, it doesn't need to be somebody out, you know, skulking around the streets or, uh, you know, somewhere in a foxhole. Heck, it could be someone parked in your driveway hacking into your Wi-Fi. Good point. I mean, it's that's why we're talking about how scary this is. It's um, and and uh, on another level, it's also scary because it takes so little, relatively speaking, to uh to perform an effective cyber attack. Now, when you're talking about a traditional attack on from one nation on to another, you're talking about billions of dollars worth of of uh equipment of um of personnel uh you know the things that have to go behind a, a war machine i mean we're that's a huge investment when you're talking about cyber attacks you're talking about you know a computer mm-hmm. and a computer connection and you know you might have a couple of other little bells and whistles to help you along but you really you don't necessarily need it if you know what you're doing and you have the right software so it's one of those things where for a very low small uh, entrance fee, I guess you could say, you could have a huge, huge impact. As a matter of fact, your computer could be used to carry out a cyber attack. If, yes. If, if you've, uh, if you've installed some kind of malware, like a virus or a worm that, uh, can turn your machine into a zombie, someone else can direct your computer to, uh, to send email on a denial of service attack. Which basically floods um, floods computers with spam and other uh, and other requests, if you will, for information. The thing is, that doesn't require any cost on the part of uh, on the part of the attacker at all, because all the machines are essentially donated, you know, from somebody else. Right, and the and to make matters worse, uh, when when anyone in authority tries to trace the source of the attack, they might come to your computer and never find the person who actually infected your computer in the first place. So then you become the person of interest, the person who's under suspicion for committing an attack, and the whole time you were completely unaware. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's another big, big issue with the cyber warfare problem. Even when you can detect an attack and trace it back, you can never be 100% sure that the last place you, you trace it back to is, in fact, the original spot of the attack. Mm-hmm. Because there are these, you know, there, there are things like proxy sites. There are these zombie computers where there's always the possibility that there's one more link you haven't found yet that will take you back even further. So that's, uh, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you were to detect, say, an attack and you say, well, we've traced it back to China, you can never be sure that, that the Chinese government was behind it. It could have been patriots in China who had the same sort of goals as the government of China but were acting on their own. Or it could have even been a, a people in a totally different country that just managed to use proxy sites in China 
to fool you into thinking that's where the attack came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's really insidious. Um, and you might wonder, well, how, how vulnerable are we to these sort of attacks? And it, I guess it really depends on which system you're talking about. Um, cause you know, the internet is a network of networks, right? Right. So any given network, uh, or any given computer could be the weak spot. Right. You know, and, and there are, just tons of computers as part of the internet. You know, every time your computer is hooked up for internet access, you become part of this giant cloud. Right. Um, so, uh, and then the really sophisticated crackers, those are the really nasty hackers. Those are the ones who can find ways to manipulate a network in ways that, uh, you know, most people don't think of. Right. And, and to give you an idea of how vulnerable certain systems can be, uh, back in 1997, there was a, a secret experiment. The Department of Defense commissioned it. It was called Eligible Receiver. I remember that. Yeah, this is an, this was a, a kind of an eye opener. Um, now a lot of Eligible Receiver, a lot of that mission remains classified. So we don't know all the details, but what we do know is that part of the, the, uh, experiment involved getting a group of hackers together, giving them some very basic computing, uh, hardware and software. And telling them to try and, and, uh, break their way into the Pentagon's computer system. And it took them three days mm-hmm. using basic computers and basic software. Uh, three days just for regular hackers. These aren't necessarily the people who are, who have a, you know, a, an actual motive to break into the Pentagon other than the fact that they're part of an experiment, right? Right. It's not like they have a government breathing down their neck saying, we need access to this information. Uh, so, that's that's pretty sobering to think that within three days, one of the nation's most important computing systems was compromised, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though it was an inside job and an experiment. Right. Well, they uh, there have been attempts to shore that up yes. since then. And, yes. And in fact, um, they conduct regular uh, exercises yeah. in order to do that. In fact, there was one not that long ago. Mm. Every year, they, uh, there are students from Army, Navy, uh, Air Force, and the Coast Guard and Merchant Marine, as well as the Naval Postgraduate Academy and the Air Force Institute of Technology. And uh, basically, it's, it's uh, undergrads okay. who are given the opportunity to uh, defend themselves from an attack by the NSA. Mm. Um, and uh, every year... They, they undergo this experiment and, uh, West Point held out the longest and they, the army got to defend their title, but, um, they, uh, they were using Linux computers. Mm. Um, but this is apparently a normal thing. Um, the defense department is only graduating 80 students a year from schools of cyber war in the United States, according to the New York Times article that I read about it. Um, and if you're wondering, this is the 57th information aggressor squadron. They're based in Nellis Air Force Base. Wow. And they are, yep, they are, they are, they make a point of, of doing this test every year. And, um, you know, they, uh, it's one of those things where they are making a conscious effort to attack and defend, uh, computer networks. And apparently the, uh, you know, the nerds are nerds everywhere, even at West Point. Um, according to the way, According to the the way the article was written, they get a little ribbing for being the the geeks of the group. But even the uh, you know the the future officers that graduate from there n- know the importance of 
the uh, the computer network because sure. that's one of the very first things they do. They're about to deploy these guys to Afghanistan, as a matter of fact. And the first thing they're going to do is set up a secure Internet connection. Mm-hmm. And they have to be ready to defend themselves against denial of, deser- uh, denial of service attacks sure. and, uh, and other attacks. So, I mean, they're... They're coming right out of the service academies with knowledge of uh, how to attack and to protect um, computer networks, military computer networks. Sure. Um, usually we call those sort of uh, exercises red team attacks mm-hmm. um, where a, a group is is uh, designated to play the part of an uh, adversary. Mm-hmm. And that's the red team. And the red team's job is to – is to achieve their goals by whatever means necessary. So in other words, you know, you're not supposed to necessarily follow a certain protocol or rules. You're supposed to be inventive and creative and try and find new ways to, to really, uh, compromise or defeat the other team. Mm-hmm. And, um, because that's exactly what the enemy's going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the enemy's not going to play by rules necessarily, especially if you're talking about enemies that you can't predict. I mean, they may not even be directly involved with uh, any other government or or official agency. Right. So um and and uh, you know we government websites and our government web servers and and systems aren't the only targets. Uh one of the big targets in the United States and it's been in the news quite a bit over the the spring of 2009 is the electric grid. Mm-hmm. And uh part of the problem with that is that systems like the electric grid and and some water and fuel systems are using um using the software that that directly ties into hardware and if you just change a few settings you can cause catastrophic damage to the the equipment um there was a a video that was on CNN for a while where uh some uh some electric uh utility experts showed that with just a couple of tweaks you could completely destroy a generator by changing some settings through the computer system. And mm-hmm. they, they essentially turned a generator into a pile of scrap metal. Wow. Um, yeah, it was very sobering to me to see that because not that long ago, the news broke out that the United States electric grid, certain parts of it anyway, uh, has been under attack by some cyber spies over the last several years. And, and they don't really know who it is, right? Right, right. Yeah. They've traced them back mostly to China and Russia, but again – um, both China and Russia deny that they had anything to do with it, but I mean, of course, wouldn't you? <laughs> the thing is, it, it you know those countries are are gradually becoming more and more uh, computer centric, right? And it you know it could be anybody. It could right. be you know it could it could be that they the are directly involved, um, or it could be that it's uh, groups of of individuals within those countries, or like we said, it could even be that the attacks are ultimately originating somewhere else, but we're only able to trace them back as far as Russia and China. True enough. So that's the, that's the other issue with the internet is that it is a global entity, and so law enforcement officials only have so much authority to pursue cyber attacks. Mm-hmm. You know, they they can cross over borders easily on the internet, but law enforcement can't. They don't necessarily have the authority to pursue an investigation beyond the borders of you know whatever their jurisdiction is. So that also makes life much more complicated when you're talking about fending off uh, cyber warfare attacks. Yeah. You know, uh, it wasn't even that long ago that uh, some countries were complaining of real cyber attacks launched on their inter- infrastructure. Right. Uh, like Estonia. 
yes. not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were blaming the Russians for that right. attack. But that was back in, in 2007, all those years ago. Yeah. <laughs> all those both years ago? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they say that uh, Internet time is sort of like dog years. It's about So that would make it about 14 years ago. Yeah, right. In, in Internet time. I guess time. so. I guess so. Um, yeah, and then of course there's the example of the Dalai Lama's office, mm-hmm. uh, the the Tibetan office that was um, uh, they knew they were being watched. Right. They they were absolutely certain that their systems had been compromised, um, and they hired a, a Canadian firm to investigate. And the Canadian firm found that indeed there there were uh, programs installed upon the Dalai Lama's uh, computer systems, mm-hmm. and that. It appeared to be uh, uh, coming from an offshore island off the coast of uh, uh, China. Mm -hmm. And the software even included um, controls that would allow people on the other end to activate audio and video software um, and hardware so that they could turn on if the computer had a webcam or a microphone. They could turn it on and turn it into a remote listening station Hmm. so they could actually spy on the goings on of these offices remotely. Wow. Um, so, I mean, this is a very real problem worldwide. It's not just something that we have to worry about in the United States or, or, you know, any other specific nation. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty much if, if you have computers, there's a good chance there's another party somewhere that's really interested in finding out what you know and what you don't know and what you're up to. Yep. And, um, there's, there's even another component to it that, uh, I know we were going to stick, uh, mainly to, Talking about how you could use computers to launch computer attacks. Mm-hmm. But, um, another facet of this that I, I think is interesting was, um, sort of relates to a blog post I wrote in early April, um, on the tech stuff blog that, that talked about the Moldovan, uh, pro democracy protesters. Mm-hmm. And they weren't launching computer attacks, but what they were doing was using, uh, social networking sites like, Twitter and Facebook to coordinate their efforts, sort of like flash mobs. They could go ahead and, and use computer networks like those and, uh, text messaging to discuss where and when they were going to organize and meet and, and hold a demonstration. Sure. So that's, um, I mean, that's, you know, relying on the network staying up and rather than taking them down. But, um, I just, it's just kind of funny because, you know, you don't think of you think of Facebook and Twitter as something we use for fun or, or to to keep up with people, and um, just another way that you can use them to actually. I mean, those could those could just as well have been used to hold a violent, you know, attack on someone. Say, you know, meet at this corner at one forty in the afternoon, uh, you know, and have everybody show up and start fighting. Well, if the uh, law enforcement is unaware of it, or the the military forces are unaware of it. You know, that could be a devastating attack and it could be used by virtually anybody. Sure. And, uh, you know, the dangers of these attacks go beyond just damaging a network or shutting down a system. Um, one of the big, uh, fears that, that a lot of security, uh, folks have is that what if you were to coordinate a physical attack with a cyber attack? Mm-hmm. So what if you were to target a major city and first you bring down the city's, uh, power grid? Through a cyber attack, and then you couple that with an actual physical attack, like bombs or or, or whatever, right? And that um, together, that would cause a real panic because suddenly you have an entire population that that doesn't have access to 
um, information the way they normally would. Mm-hmm. And yet there is obviously chaos going on. And, uh, that, that really is the, you know, true definition of terrorism there. You're, you're inspiring terror in the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, now would this be nationwide? Probably not. Uh, for one thing, the electric grid is really much a, pretty much a regional kind of thing. Sure. Um, but, it's something that every region could theoretically be vulnerable to without the right uh, security measures in place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Now, that sort of attack obviously would have to come from a much more organized group. Um, it would have to come from a country or organization that had a, a strong financial backing to be able to fund the physical side of the attack. Right. Um, so – that that narrows down the list of of possible suspects who could do that, but it's still within the realm of possibility, and it's one of those things that you know keep security people up at night. Sure, sure. Um, and you know I, I'm really not certain what we're going to be able to do short of pulling all the plugs, um, to make it a an impo- a complete and an utter impossibility that they could carry out those kinds of attacks because. Um, it's just going to re- require constant monitoring and, and searching for vulnerabilities. That's why the uh, the efforts of those who are um, participating in those um, those computer security uh, war games, if you will, right? Um, they're they're so important because they're searching. They're actively searching for those vulnerabilities in the system and try you know to try to find ways to patch them up before they can be hacked into. But um, you know, I think that any time that you update those systems. You're going to open up new vulnerabilities and new problems, and you know it's just one of those things where the the people who whose job it is to uh, pay attention to it are just going to have to stay constantly vigilant, yeah, to prevent something like that from happening. And and it is even more complicated when you think that you know not every system runs on the same software or operating system or whatever. So some of them are proprietary, and uh, and and so you might find something that works as a great security measure for one system, but it's mm-hmm. not at all applicable to any other. So it is a huge challenge. I mean, well, what's the response to that? Do you go ahead and try and standardize everything so that hopefully the same measures will work across the board? Because if you do that and someone does find a vulnerability, suddenly they've got a vulnerability that works across all systems. Right. So – I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a double-edged sword and it's, it's, there are no easy answers. We've got people who are way smarter than I am working on this. Um, and I wish them the best Yeah, because no this is, this is scary stuff. Now, are we all in danger of something like this happening anytime soon? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I'm not, I'm not staying up at night worrying the next day about that's going to be the day when the cyber war attack's going to happen. Right. But it's, I mean, it is possible. It's just not necessarily something that, you know, that I'm going to have to worry about on a day-to-day basis. Well, the more systems come online um, in more places around the world, I think it's going to be, it becomes sort of like, you know, aerial assaults were after, you know, that became a real possibility in the 20th century. It's it's going to be something that uh, a well-planned military strategy is going to include. You know, you got your ground troops, you know, air, sea, and internet. Yeah. You know, anything that can take down the, the computer network, the computer, the, um, communications network, the power grid all at one time. If you can do that, then, you know, you'll panic the citizenry and that just gives you a better chance. I can pretty much guarantee that just about every modern nation in the world has some sort of plan like that in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can also guarantee that they're not going to share that because that kind of defeats the purpose of the plan. Yeah, but you know, 
my internet connection goes down plenty without <laughs> anybody attacking it. So, and I occasionally lose power if I sneeze too hard. <laughs> so, or maybe I black out. It's one of the two. <laughs> Either way. All right then. I'm done. I, I'm, yeah, I've, that's all I have that okay. I can divulge to the public. Now that we've scared the pants off of you, it's time for listener mail. And goodness knows that scares the pants off me. And you know what? Uh, in retrospect, the alarm noise is probably not the most appropriate one to play at the end probably, of this podcast. Probably not. I apologize, folks. <laughs> I should have picked something like kittens purring. Mmm, kittens. Well, today's listener mail comes from Tom from Kansas. <clears throat> when I call a radio station to try and win a contest, would I have an advantage if I were closer to the radio station or closer to a tower that is closest to the station? Sometimes when I call, I never get through. Who's getting through and why? Um, Tom, I was getting through. No, seriously, I used to have, like, the bat phone into the local radio station. I won so many tickets from that station that they actually had to say, hey, how long has it been since the last time you won? I'd be like, 62 days, and your your policy says 60, so hands them over. Um... Does it help I bet if you you're... did too? I could just see you doing that. Yeah. Anyway. Does it help if you're closer? No. Does it help if your uh, uh, tower is closer? No. These signals are moving really, really fast. Um, well, otherwise, you couldn't have uh, a conversation right. in normal time, you as you have, were pointing out to me. Yeah, exactly. We, th- these signals are moving essentially at the speed of light, um, or close enough to it. Because uh, if you if they weren't moving that fast, if when you spoke into the phone, the person on the other end would experience a really long delay, and then they would hear you, and then they would speak, and you would hear a really long pause, and then you would hear them, and you'd, then you'd speak. That's not how it happens. Conversations ha- happen in near real time. So we're talking about really, really fast signals. Now, what is happening, Tom, is that the radio station has only so many incoming lines available. After that, you're going to get a busy signal. And those lines are going to fill up pretty quickly, especially if the radio station has a large uh, audience. Yeah, if you have a, a switchboard with uh, with 10 lines. Yeah, and typical switchboard. 275 people are calling in. That's, that means 265 people are getting a busy signal. Yep. Or an all circuits are busy uh, recording, which is probably what you're hearing. Yeah, and that's what I always heard when I called in. Uh, you know, so until, don't feel bad, Tom. until I worked for a very specific company that had uh, uh, a particular phone system, that's why I used to get two. I don't know what it was about that phone system. I think it was nothing at all. I think it was just luck and coincidence. So I don't, sure was, I don't think there was any. Was. I don't think there was any causation. There might have been correlation, but no causation. Right. Um, at any rate, um, all I can say is keep trying. Lines are open. <laughs> um, but yeah, if uh, as soon as a line does go open, someone else is trying to call. It's going to fill up really quickly. It's really just you know kind of a, a crapshoot. All right then. All right, Tom. Thanks for writing in. <laughs> if any of you have any questions you'd like answered. Write in at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Remember, you can find out all about fun activities like cyber war at howstuffworks.com. You make it sound so fun. Well, I was trying to, you know, lighten up the mood after that podcast. (laughs) And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog now on the How Stuff Works homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.